Joseph Frank Pesci was born February 9th, 1943 in Newark, New Jersey to Angelo Pesci, a forklift driver for GE and a bartender, and Maria Meschi, a part-time barber. He's of Italian descent with family originating from the province of Avellino. By the time he was five years old, he was appearing on the stage in New York and became a regular on the Star Time Kids, a television variety show. Pesci had a love for singing at an early age and as a teenager, was friends with Frankie Valli and Tommy DeVito. He later made their introduction to songwriter Bob Guiato that eventually helped Valli and DeVito form The Four Seasons. In the early 60s, Pesci began working as a barber, but also pursued a musical career playing with a number of bands, including Joey Dean the Starliners, known for the Peppermint Twist. He was married for a short time in 1964, although information is hard to find on his wife's name or the name of their child. He released his debut album, Little Joe Sure Can Sing, in 1968 under the name Joe Ritchie, a collection of Pesci singing pop hits of the time, most notably the Beatles, Gotta Get You Into My Life. Between 1970 and 1976, he formed a comedy duo with future Goodfellas co-star Frank Vincent. Also in 1976, Pesci starred in his first film, The Death Collector, a role that impressed both Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. Scorsese reached out to Pesci to co-star as Joey LaMotta, the brother to De Niro's Jake LaMotta, in 1980's Raging Bull. Pesci won a BAFTA for, the, for a newcomer to a leading role and was nominated for an Academy Award. Over the next few years, he appeared in a few smaller films, I'm Dancing As Fast As I Can, Dear Mr. Wonderful, Eureka, and Easy Money alongside Rodney Dangerfield. In 1984, he rejoined De Niro and joined James Woods in Once Upon a Time in America, an epic from director Sergio Leone. He appeared in Italian film Tutti Dentro. Tutti Dentro? I think I'm saying that right? Mm-hmm. Then a movie and a short-lived series by the same name, Half Nelson, before playing the crime boss Michael Jackson's Moonwalker in 1988. During this time, Pesci married fellow actor Claudia Harrow in 1988, and the two divorced in 1992, appearing in many films together and introducing one child into the world, model Tiffany Pesci. In 1989, Pesci took on the role of Leo Getz in Lethal Weapon 2. His performance was so memorable, the character was written into 1993's third sequel and 98's finale, Lethal Weapon 4. Pesci and Danny Glover's chemistry worked so well, they co-starred in 97's Gone Fishing, co-written by a still relatively unknown J.J. Abrams. In 1990, Pesci would star alongside De Niro a third time, working again with Martin Scorsese in the widely respected Goodfellas. Pesci earned his second Academy Award nomination, this time taking the Oscar home for Best Supporting Actor. Later in 1990, Pesci also starred in the Christmas classic Home Alone, which yielded a sequel, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York in 1992. Before that, however, Pesci starred in a small comedy, The Super, and a small supporting character in Oliver Stone's JFK. In 1992, we also see Pesci in a fast-talking amateur attorney in over his head and My Cousin Vinny opposite Marissa Tomei, and in a departure role in The Public Eye. In 93, we see Pesci join De Niro again in A Bronx Tale, and in 94, he takes on a comedy and a drama, both in Jimmy Hollywood and with honors. In 1995, Pesci teamed up with De Niro and Scorsese for a third time in another Mafia classic, Casino, along with Sharon Stone. And in 1997, 
Pesci played the straight man in the riotous Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, poking fun at some of the many tough guy characters that helped him make him an international star. After Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998, Pesci announced his retirement from acting to focus on music. That year, he released Vincent LaGuardia Gambini Sings Just For You, an album where he took the persona of 1992's My Cousin Vinny's titular character. During this time, Pesci was engaged to model-slash-actor Angie Everhart from 2000 until their breakup in 2008. In 2006, Pesci reappeared in film in The Good Shepherd for the sixth time with Robert De Niro, this time seeing De Niro in the director's chair. We also see Pesci in The Love Ranch opposite Helen Mirren in 2010 from director Taylor Hackford, a director of such films as An Officer and a Gentleman, The Devil's Advocate, and Ray. Finally, we see Pesci join Scorsese a fourth time and De Niro a seventh time in the Netflix original The Irishman next to the fellow mafia movie heavyweight Al Pacino in 2019. Pesci was nominated for a third time for Best Supporting Actor Academy Award along with co-star Pacino, but both ultimately lost out to Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A film that takes its namesake as an homage to director Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West and Once Upon a Time in America. Pesci released his third album in 2019 titled Simply Pesci, Still Singing, a collection of jazz standards with appearances from Adam Levine and the late Jimmy Scott. Aside from a role on Pete Davidson's Bupkis playing Davidson's grandfather, Pesci has nothing else in the works and seems to be sticking to his retirement from acting. He recently released a designer sunglass line called Badass Glass after he received numerous compliments on the sunglasses he wore during the filming of The Irishman. Pesci is 80 years old today. We are one day old today. This is the premiere episode you've all been waiting for but didn't know you needed. A movie review podcast that selects an actor and discovers the star's work through 12 films in 12 episodes. We'll break down beloved movies as well as films we've never seen before, hoping to expand our movie knowledge while providing a fun and in-depth analysis here on Stellar Alignment. Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Um, boy, oh boy. This week we watched with honors. Uh, which is a college student on track to graduate with honors from Harvard, finds himself at the mercy of a homeless man who takes his thesis hostage, starring Joe Pesci. Of course, the great Joe Pesci, uh, alongside Brendan Fraser. A young Brendan Fraser. Uh, yes, a young, younger everyone. Ah, this yeah. movie came everyone out in 1994. So much younger. Uh, co-starring Josh Hamilton, Moira Kelly, and uh, a hilarious Patrick Dempsey. A young Patrick Dempsey. Pre, Pre-McDreamy. Mm-hmm. With uh, director um, Alec Kesheshian. I hope I'm saying that right, I hope you're Alec. saying that right, too. And writer William Mastro Simeon. I also hope that I'm saying that right. What were your first impressions? First impressions. Uh, I definitely think, and we haven't watched all of his movies yet, Having been the first time that I've seen with honors, this is definitely the most dramatic role that I've seen Joe Pesci take on. And I think he did a really good job. Very impressed. Hmm. Goes to show you that he can do tough guy, funny guy, 
And a vulnerable, and, vulnerable yeah, guy. Vulnerable. Um, yeah, a lot of layers to this character. Mm-hmm. I cried every time he cried, pretty much. There, there was, uh, yeah, there was something in the air in the room. <laughs> caused my eyes to leak a little bit. I'm not sure what that was. Sad things. Overall, I thought the movie was a little corny. Like really campy. Like maybe it was just the cheesy lines or the actors not being comfortable with the lines. There's some cheese ball lines in there. Yeah, I mean, so I think the writing was really good. There was a lot of good quotable lines, but in yeah. And, you know, in real life, that's not how people speak. Um, I know I made a note in here at one point that um, kind of alluded to the mid 90s into the early 2000s where that really high level dialogue came into place with like high schoolers and college students. You know, I'm thinking of stuff like Cruel Intentions or shows like Dawson's Creek where, um, you know, People don't really speak like that in real life. It's great writing. And we know from this movie that Walt Whitman was obviously a huge, um, um, what's the word? I don't Inspiration. know where you're going. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. Inspiration uh-huh. on, this, uh, on this movie because he's mentioned quite a few times. But I did have a note in there that it was a little cheesy but just a tiny bit and i think that like that's just because it's 30 years old yeah probably i mean i have some favorite cheese ball moments Mm. there was definitely a montage in there it was never cringy yeah no not cheesy cringy i was 10 when this movie came out so i I think that probably a, a teenage um young adult aged peter probably would have really loved this movie, especially with a lot of moments in there. Oh. Um, because, you know, this type of movie was my bag, baby. Oh my gosh. So a young Peter would have really enjoyed it. I wrote this joke down somewhere in the middle. It's, can I borrow some condoms? No, but you can have some. What? Loved it. Our opening scene is basically the narration. I really enjoyed Patrick Dempsey's open as the the college radio host. Um, It's 7 a.m., children, and you're listening to Radio Free Harvard on a chilly November morning. You're at the greatest university on earth, and you know what? You're in over your head. You're drowning, especially you seniors. Only 150 days before your thesis is due, and the powers that be decide whether you're destined for greatness or mediocrity. I know what you're thinking. Do I really belong here? Probably not, but don't give in. Don't give up. Arise, fair Harvard, arise. You too can rule the world. You just have to crush everyone else first. I love that last line. 150 or, days till graduation. Till graduation. Or no, till your thesis is due. Right. Yeah. Very big plot point. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. as we find out later, you have to turn in your thesis on time. To graduate. To graduate with, with honors. honors. Seems like an easy way to get a distinction like that. But No, I mean, obviously... The rest of his grades needs to be good, right? Like, right. This is just one more thing. I went to a school that didn't have honors or anything like that. Um, it's called the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> you don't have honors. You don't have. I don't know. Exceptional. I certainly didn't graduate with them. That's okay. I graduated. That's, That's... all that matters. Bam. Yeah. There, there, bam. Um, Anyways, so 
It, we find out it's um, McDreamy. McDreamy. Radio McDreamy DJ host. <laughs> Patrick Dempsey. Um, mm-hmm. Very funny throughout the whole movie. He um, is. He's got a Klaus vibes from Umbrella Academy. Sure. Like okay. before Klaus. Less, less druggy and uh, sure, sure, sure. depressed, but sure. Yeah. More spoiled. For sure. More spoiled. Yeah. It seems like. It feels like all the characters are, although except Brendan Fraser, Monty. Yeah, he's you know kind of just squeaking by, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the rest of the characters. Uh, I don't know if that's an indication of the people that go to Harvard. I think you probably have a lot of people that manage to get to Harvard just based on merit, but there's probably also a decent amount of people that go to Harvard because they've got because they can. Um, yep. So Patrick Dempsey and uh, Courtney actually. Uh, Moira, mm. they seem like the most relaxed characters right off the bat and throughout the movie. And I think it's because they come from wealthy families. Yeah. Where, where it they seems don't like, have real problems. Yeah. It <laughs> seems like Brendan Fraser, not for money, and he's working super hard Absolutely. just to fit there yeah. and accomplish his goals. Like, that's why he's so driven. Yeah. And Everett and. Courtney are mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie are telling him slow down relax you know like you're it's gonna be fine it's your thesis is good and he's like no I gotta keep going I gotta mm-hmm. keep going self-driven attitude that got him into Harvard in the first place exactly and then Jeff and then there's Jeff well we'll come to Jeff later we'll get to Jeff yeah Jeff uh yeah we'll get to Jeff we'll get to Jeff I have right out of the gate uh a solid opening after uh, Patrick Dempsey's introduction as a radio DJ. Um, we've got uh, the cult, um, and we see Brendan Fraser running around outside in running the snow. Running around outside, exactly. Yeah. Um, and he has this obvious like attraction to this girl. She's trying to impress by like showing up all the guys in her crew. What is this crew, by the way? What think, sport do they play? The, I think they're the rowing crew. Oh, Harvard's so. very is known uh, for their rowing team, so it's probably the rowing team. I'm guessing. I have no idea. I have no idea. It just but it's Harvard winter. Crew. It's winter, and they can't row. So probably. So they're running to train. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know what sport they played. I, that's what I have written just down. Just that here, she but was I have no in idea. charge of them. Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Is why is she their running? Coach? I don't think so. She could be a student coach. And not important to the movie at all for us mm. to figure this out. So just curious. Let's move on from that. <laughs> Auntie bumped into a a homeless person digging through the trash. Yeah. Um, when he first starts right to when run. he starts running, it wasn't Joe Pesci, but gave no regard to the fact that he just bumped into another human being, mm-hmm. which I think you know is an indication of where his head is at at the beginning of the movie. Movie. Mm-hmm. Versus where he obviously ends up. Ends up at the end. At the end of the movie, yeah. And then he runs into uh, Everett, Patrick Dempsey's character. And I'll say that I know that in his early years, Patrick Dempsey did a lot of comedies as like uh, the awkward kid. And then kind of blossomed into uh, what everyone refers to as McDreamy now. Um, But he definitely played things a lot sillier when he was younger. Like, I think that once he became the sex symbol, he's less silly. At least I haven't seen him do anything like that. Even in movies like... He's in Enchanted. Uh, Enchanted, he's not super silly. No. He's a straight he's guy. He's a straight guy. Um, but anyways, 
I have here that he made a, a jab at Yale because Monty was acting all depressed and was wondering if he transferred to Yale. Um, and I, I wondered, is the writer from Harvard? And he's not. But the director is did go to Harvard. Hey. Yes. Monty's on the way to talk to his professor, his mentor, about his thesis, played by Gore Vidal. And... Uh, Oddly enough, has a painting of himself in his own office. Did you did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who has a painting of themselves in their own office? It's yeah. It's behind Brendan Fraser on the wall. Yeah, he's writing a thesis. It's due at the end of the spring semester. He's a senior at Harvard, and um, the thesis is the. Uh, the, the biggest plot point of the movie, really. Biggest plot point, sort Which of. we will come into in a few seconds. But then um, Monty heads home, and we meet the rest of the roommates. We meet Courtney and Jeff, the other two roommates. Mm-hmm. Courtney being the woman leading the rowing team and running for some reason at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff um, a uh, working on his his medical student degree. Yep. Do- doctorate? No. Uh, no, he's also working on his thesis, and he's trying to get into med school after Harvard. Right. Monty's really nervous about his thesis, goes upstairs to work on it. Maybe not nervous, maybe... Just uh, feeling the pressure. Yeah, like, dedicated. Yeah. One single mind... Right. He needs he, he needs, needs this. to he for needs it to go well. Honors. He needs to graduate he needs with honors. Yeah, his thesis to line up well. He basically is, says, I th- in, in not these words, that like this is going to uh, define the rest of my life. Yes. Right. Yeah. How I do on this one thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes upstairs to work on it while the rest of his roommates are downstairs eating dinner. You know, enjoying their evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1994 problems. There's a power surge. And the hard drive. Just fucking crashes on him. Yep. Done. It's fried. Done. Just it's like fried. He doesn't have his shit in the cloud. Like <laughs> amateur mistake. Yep. Drives get deleted on his computer, and a bunch of like actually notes start piping up. So they're like J drive deleted or complete failure. Um. There's also I wrote this down. Lost forever. It says lost forever. Did, I didn't it did notice say that. it That's uh, hilarious. in text on the computer. Lost um, forever. But you know this is what computers do. Yeah. Um, just they're very. It was just an exaggerated way for like the audience to see like oh no everything's gone wrong. Because of this, mm-hmm. he takes the one hard copy, uh, paper copy, and says, "I need to go make." more copies of this right now at night yeah i need to xerox my 10 chapters of my thesis yeah so like right now 80 pages right and all of his roommates are like why do it tomorrow like no one's gonna steal your thesis out of your bedroom at whatever 10 o'clock at night yeah okay so i feel like both courtney and everett are like no calm down it's gonna be fine right yeah it's gonna be fine no one's no nothing's gonna happen to it. Jeff, on the other hand, he and I wrote this down because I don't know why. Jeff's interesting, isn't he? Um, yeah. I don't care for Jeff. No, Jeff um, is just jealous and insecure. That's why he's a douche, mm. and that's why they make fun of him because he's not confident. He's super insecure and scared like, of his parents. Scared of his parents. Scared of his mom. Scared like, of the world. 
he says almost quietly, you already have 10 chapters of your thesis. Right. Yes. I wrote that down because it seemed like. Because it's November. Like, the thesis is due, obviously, the end of next semester. Yeah. And uh, we do learn that probably in a lot more scenes after this, that he only has one, one chapter. Page. One page. Page? One page of his thesis. Of his thesis. So yeah. he's, yeah. Nervous, so, jealous, all of that. Nervous, jealous. I feel like he like measures himself against Monty mm. a lot of the time because yeah. he knows that, you know, Everett's not like a overachiever. Yeah. It seems. He runs out of the house with the thesis to go get copies made. <laughs> I, I don't understand why, but, you know, if what if he hadn't made that choice, then we'd have no movie. We'd never meet Joe Pesci's character. Right. Courtney goes with him. Yeah, as, I don't know, moral support, but also because she needs to be in the next scene with him. And also, I think they have a crush on each other, sure, so it yeah. seems so like... So she's like, I'm going to go with him. I'm going right? to take care of him, make sure he's all right. He he trips and uh, uh, breaks his foot, apparently, drops the thesis. It falls into a grate that somehow go uh, A grate Goes outside of the building that somehow into... ends up inside the boiler room boiler. of the library? I don't understand how this happens. I don't know how boilers work. I don't work. I don't really get it. It could be a vent for the machines to blow hot air out. But then a whole Manila envelope full of eighty pages of paper falls through this vent and into this other room. Ends up inside on the floor of a building. It's fine. Why does this happen? Because it's a movie. Because it's a movie. Um. So he goes to the door and he's like, I'm not gonna be able to get it. It's night, the library's closed. Moira, thank God she's there. Um, she uh, says, I know the security guard. Yeah. What a coincidence. I'll distract him. So she distracts him. Well, he, you hobble. He manages to some... take a, an elevator from 1850 down to the basement. Yes. Security guard doesn't hear it. And uh, he comes upon. A room with a closed door mm-hmm. doesn't search anywhere else, but goes in this one closed door. For some reason. And it just happens to be the room that Joe Pesci, Simon, is in. And reading. Reading, but also... Burning. Burning. <laughs> uh, the pages of Monty's thesis. Mm-hmm. Because he's just trying to stay warm. My question is, like... How does the security guard not know that Joe Pesci's in the basement? Yeah. His digs are kind of like... He's got a lot of shit in there. He's got tons of books in there. He's yeah. got like bed area. like Books. Uh, it looks like, you know, he's, you know, hoarded some stuff. Anything, I mean... Mm-hmm. Useful or Things comforting. that might, might come in useful when you don't have a home and stuff. That you're just trying to survive on the streets. You keep stuff. Oh. But he's got a lot of stuff in there. Brendan Fraser's like, wait, 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 you're burning my thesis. And Joe Pesci's like, yeah, well, I'm just trying to stay warm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's it worth to you? Yep. So they're ne- they have to negotiate, basically. This, right. is, this is the whole thing. But Fraser just tries to give him money. Yep. And Simon will not be bought off. Yeah, the motivation seems a little odd. It's a little odd. Maybe he wanted more than just $80 for 80 pages, you know? Sure. So, and he does end up getting more. Yeah, in, absolutely. Yeah. Over the course of the movie, um, he does get more. But at, at first, he says, uh, what size underpants you wearing? 
<laughs> That's your quote. Because <laughs> he just wants uh, wants a free free pair of underwear. Yeah. Um, but the, then he lets him know that he's only going to get one page for a pair of underwear. Yep, one page per item. Right, or f per you know, whatever glazed he gives him. Donut. He wants a glazed donut where the glaze is not broken; it has to be pristine. Pristine glazed, glazed donut. donut, which you know, until this point, I never really realized matters when it comes to a glazed donut. Mm -mm. Yeah, absolutely. D oh, it makes it more enjoyable. I guess because you know no one's touched it or manhandled it. Just being able to bite into it and have the glaze crack sure. from your bite. Yeah, sure. I could see sure, that. Sure, sure. Yep. Monty's not able to get any of these things right now. Mm -mm. So he goes back to the house, lets his friends know what happened. Um, they all kind of discuss it as a group. Yeah. And... It feels like all the friends are like, yeah, why don't you just try and reason with this guy? And Brendan Fraser's like, no, fuck that. He's burning my thesis. Exactly. He so gets a little upset. He calls campus calls police. Campus security. Yeah. The campus police Rats come him in out. and take him out of the basement. And then that's when we find out how much shit he actually had down in there. Yeah. He must have been living down there for months. How does no one know this? He's feeding the furnace. Like he's in the furnace room feeding it with paper. Someone had to have gone in there and seen everything. I feel like someone else would be taking care of the furnace. Like, that's someone's job. Apparently, it's Joe Pesci's job, and he know. lives down there, Unless, but no one's aware. Anyway, they bring all of his stuff outside. They go through it. No thesis. It's not on him. It's not in his little cubbyhole. It's nowhere. Mm. So, Brendan Fraser is still on the hook for this. He yeah. still needs to negotiate with him. Right. Basically. So we then see Pesci taken to court mm -hmm. with a bunch of other homeless men that are there for vagrancy or trespassing or public drunkenness. Yes. And Joe Pesci's the only one that um, says he's not guilty mm -hmm. and is able to, to talk his way out of it, actually. Yeah. He's charming mm -hmm. and quick-witted. Knows the law. Knows enough of the law. Because he reads a lot. Right, yeah. Yep. Um, to basically have most of the charges dropped. Yep. And he only has, what, $50 fee? For contempt. <laughs> you know, the charges drop, but then, you know... He was an ass. Makes a snide remark about the judge's accent, and yeah. the judge gives him contempt, which Monty pays for him. Mm -hmm. um, and then they uh, come to real terms after that. Yep, real terms. They decide, you know, a page for whatever he might give him mm -hmm. and um he ends up giving him a place a to sleep place that to night sleep, which is uh a, a beat-up van a beat-up van their old roommate boz used to own right but boz kind of broke down and went to bali the pressures of harvard the pressures of harvard and, couldn't yeah. crack it so he leaves his broke down van out here um and monty gives simon a place to sleep there for the night mm -hmm. The, it's got a little bed in the back. Although there are rooms in the house, um, he's he's not fit, at least at that point, to come into the house. Yeah. Um, Monty's keeping him at a At this a point, distance. Monty doesn't see him as a human being, mm -hmm. right? And of course, they, they have that discussion in the scene before, mm -hmm. when right after the, the court scene, he says, what do you see when you see me? And Monty says, I see a man. And he says, no, you don't. Um, because he doesn't see him as a, a man. He just sees him as some bum. And 
that's in his way of of getting what he needs which is his thesis back Mm -hmm. doesn't treat him like a person he doesn't treat him like a person not really not for a while sort of you know yeah like he's outside like a dog in a doghouse yeah basically yeah they've got him sleeping outside like a dog right which uh comes up again later in the movie there's a lot of parallels here. Hmm. Um, Aww. Sad. It is sad. Um, I do have a note here that says there's so much dialogue, it's hard to take notes. <laughs> because I don't want to be writing the whole movie and uh, miss what's happening. So I know that there's a good chunk of stuff that I wasn't able to get. Um, however, I do have that it's obvious that Courtney and Monty have a thing. Yes, some unspoken thing. There's a scene right after he puts him in the van, right? Um, Where (laughs) uh, Courtney and Monty have a conversation in the shower. And the conversation itself is about giving him a blanket Mm -hmm. because it's super cold outside. He's going to freeze, like, be a human, treat him like a human. Exactly. Um, But the whole time I'm thinking... Have you ever had a f- just a friend in the shower while you're naked in the shower? Like, just talking to you? Like like a All platonic guy, girlfriend? My roommates in college used to come in and take shits while I was taking a shower. And we would talk about our day. Um, what? Make plans for the evening. That's not true. No, it's not that true. That can't be true. Yeah, that's weird. It's no longer really platonic. But I think it's they're just trying to say, like, look how close these roommates are. You're away from home, essentially living on your own with other quote unquote adults your age. You bond like a lot and those people become very important to you and you get close to them like you really don't with many other people in your life other than maybe a spouse. Um, So I will say that it definitely weird. um, And I think it's only the movie's way of saying, hey, there's sexual tension here. Oh, what's that line he says on his way out of the bathroom? Something about wanting wanting to be. I've never the wanted to be a razor before in my life. Yeah, or more before. Which he life. says to nobody. Like, there's no one in the hall. He just says it. Says it for the. Audience. It's it says it for us. But yeah. like, we didn't need that line. We it's could already obvious. tell that that there's a thing there. Mm-hmm. Covers him with a blanket, mm-hmm. right? He does end up uh, taking a blanket out to him because. Monty does have a soul, um, goes out, covers him up. And the next morning, um, Simon is very appreciative of it. Helps him to, uh, to class because, like we said, Monty broke his mm-hmm. foot. He's gave on crutches. Gave him a couple extra pages. Um, gave him a few pages, and they go to the library together. And Joe Pesci says, this library is like a church, isn't it? Which I thought was a cool line. Yeah. Because old, old libraries, and especially college campus libraries, like old college campus libraries a lot of them do look a lot like churches very cool cool looking buildings i'm a big uh, library supporter go support your local library keep books and knowledge alive don't google everything because a lot of the times it's wrong anyways love joe pesci's mannerisms when they get in the library he's taken off his jacket and he's you know, yeah, he's got that Joe Pesci way of moving, you know, that you see 
in well we'll see it when we come to uh my cousin Vinny and we see it in um all the lethal weapons just that very kind of small sporadic movements that are just like Joe Pesci those mannerisms yeah. very cool and the whole library's full but he's still talking at normal volume yes yeah. <laughs> so. this is also a moment where the librarian singles him out and is like, you can't stay here. Mm. And Brendan Fraser has to be like, no, 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 no. he's with he's, me. Yeah. He's with me. He's part of my research project. Like he's a thing still. Yeah. But instead of getting offended or like lashing out, like once she leaves, he goes, women, ain't they perfect? Not always, Monty says. <laughs> Simon Wilder says... Yes, they are. They're perfect. Don't matter if they're skinny, fat, blonde, or blue. If a woman is willing to give you her love, Harvard, it's the greatest gift in the world. Makes you taller, makes you smarter, makes your teeth shine. Boy, oh boy, women are perfect. Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. I'm going to get that down. Women are perfect. Women are perfect. Women are perfect. But not always. <laughs> but neither are men. I thought when he was shutting his layers, he felt very awkward and insecure because you know he he had these layers because he's living outside he's also dirty he's very he's dirty. Also dirty he um, asks for a bath people are staring at him yes mm -hmm. and then he, he does ask monty if he can give him two pages for a bath which monty agrees to of course says, of course right. yeah but like monty even is like a little sensitive to the mm -hmm. subject too he's like yeah of course yeah um, and this is where he, Monty says, you know, why did you call me a loser last night? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, when he shows him the van the night before and gives him some food, um, Simon calls him a loser. And Monty doesn't understand why. In his mind, he's in Harvard. Right? Like, I can't be a loser. I'm in Harvard. He's like, loser? I'm not a loser, Harvard. I'm a quitter. You try too hard. Winners forget they're in a race. They just love to run. Yeah. I like that. I had that one written down too. That was nice. a good one. Which is um, kind of shown in the intro of the movie mm -hmm. when um, you see Brendan Fraser running out for a jog and he has to show up all that other crew or yeah. those guys jogging in the morning. Yeah, true. Because he's racing, he's pitting himself against them. Mm -hmm. Like he's trying to beat them. Well, the same as... He's not just running for the um, love of it. Patrick Dempsey's thing in the very beginning, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you can be successful. You just have to crush everybody else that's in your way first. Mm -hmm. um, interesting mentality. Yes. And then they go back to the house and he gets his bath. And he gets a bath. And Jeff... Uh, Which Jeff, he uses all of the bubble bath for, apparently. Yeah. Jeff freaks the fuck out because mm -hmm. he's a baby. I have that here. Jeff is a child. Um, yeah. There's... A stranger in their their house, which is, you know, weird and feel like you'd ask your roommates if a strange person can come and use your bath. Yeah. The fact that he's homeless shouldn't have anything to do with it, but like there's a strange man taking a bath yeah. in their bathroom. I think Jeff is upset for that reason. Mm -hmm. He's also upset. I think for... he's more upset about the fact that there's a homeless guy in their house. That's fair. That's fair. If it was another student there taking a bath, I don't, I don't think he would have reacted that way. No, probably not. I don't know. He seems like everything that happens in the house is disrupting his study time. But like we yeah. learn later on that, yeah, he's not 
fuck he's not actually doing anything and he's just blaming his problems on other people yeah just a little bit he's like oh my parents could show up any minute he can't stay here and he's like he's just taking a bath Mm -hmm. it's okay everett cracks me up the whole movie he's one of my favorite characters patrick dempsey was definitely Mm -hmm. the comedic relief for sure he says don't you think it would have been more considerate if you asked jeff's mom first but Joe Pesci is very, um, he doesn't have many boundaries. No, so no. he just, yeah, he walking the... around the house yep. in, in Courtney's, Courtney's robe, robe. Um, taking beers out of their fridge. He also says, is this a lover's quarrel? Yeah. And so then they both get all like, uh, that there's something uh, between Monty and Courtney. No, why not? Yeah. I liked when he was like, uh, Courtney want, like, complained about the robe and he's like, fine, you want it back? Don't let me catch you wearing any of mine. (laughs) (laughs) He starts on rope. He's like, no. And of course she says, no, 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 you can keep it. Yeah. So after the bath scene, this is where Jeff admits he only has one page of his thesis done. Yeah. He admits it to Monty. Mm -hmm. And Monty's like, I heard you printing pages last night. Blank pages. Printing blank pages because he doesn't want his roommates to know that he's behind. So far behind. Which makes makes no sense. Just do your work or be honest about it and maybe someone would help you. I don't know. So then it's the next day. Monty and Simon are walking around campus again. They stop to have a, a seat on a bench because Monty's broken foot. He's having trouble walking. Mm. I think Simon asks him, you know, a little bit about him. Injured. Pop ever play ball with you? Yeah. And Brendan Fraser doesn't want to talk about his dad at first, but then he does give in and, and we find out that his dad left him and his mom when he was five. Mm-hmm. And Went and started a new family. Yeah. Barely heard from him after then. And, and when he got into Harvard, uh, so said he was proud, but wouldn't couldn't help financially. Wouldn't be able to help with his tuition. And that was all he heard the from last him he heard before from him. he died. Yeah. Simon gives a little bit of insight into his own life um, and talks about his life. Mm-hmm. And he does that by pulling out a bag of rocks, which I have a note here. Younger me would have ate that shit up. Like having a physical um, representation of a memory throughout your life and carrying it around with you. And it's like he pulls out one. And it's like, this is the, the night I had the best sleep of my life on a beach in Bali. Um, this one is is... A woman. a woman she was the one and yeah i thought it was it was really nice he foreshadows his sickness mm. a little bit when he says just don't breathe in the engine room the first time he ever mentions mentions bali yeah mm-hmm. and that he was a merchant marine mm-hmm. um and he said yeah just don't just don't breathe in the engine room just don't breathe in the engine room and it's kind of like foreshadowing right like, what's gonna happen yeah, he says he, uh, before that, he was hanging out with uh, Al Einstein at Princeton. And he was working on a problem that he couldn't figure out. And he... <laughs> he said, don't don't go crazy. You got a good wife, steady job. It's all relative. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't I do um, And then we go to the classroom scene with yes. uh, Brendan Fraser, Monty's mentor and professor. Um played by Gore Vidal, has a very specific view on government mm-hmm. and politics. And Monty's trying to shape himself and his thesis kind of based off of his mentor. And Simon uh, kind of sees right through that and thinks it's bullshit. Kind of tells him as much in that scene. Yes. Yeah. And this is a very 
a very awesome speech that I am not going to butcher for you. But you should watch the movie just for this scene. I'll butcher it. You'll butcher it? Yeah. You, you're going to give it a go? Okay. He makes a little bit of noise. The professor says, you know, sir, who, you know, what are you doing here? Are you a student? No. Um, and he says, uh, no, I'm a bum. And the teacher, the professor says, no, uh, no bums, just financially challenged. Mm-hmm. And his response is, no, I'm a bum. Bear in mind, I'm a Harvard bum, but I'm a bum. Um, and at that point, the, the professor kind of insults him, says, you know, calls him witty, but says no doubt because of wild turkey, mm-hmm. basically calling him, him a drunk. And, you know, pulls out a $1 bill. And so he gets up and he walks down and he takes the $1 bill from him. Mm-hmm. And calls him an asshole. Calls him an asshole. That's show himself out. Yeah. And and then he makes another remark to him about him, you know, being so eloquent. Mm-hmm. So then Simon turns around and he says, you asked the question, sir. Now let me answer it. The beauty of the Constitution is that it can always be changed. The beauty of the Constitution is that it makes no set law other than faith and the wisdom of ordinary people to govern themselves. And the professor says, faith in the wisdom of the people is exactly what makes the Constitution incomplete and crude. Crude? No, sir. Our founding parents were pompous, white, middle-aged farmers, but they were also great men. Because they knew one thing that all great men should know. They, they didn't know everything. Sure, they make mistakes, but they made sure to leave a way to correct them. The president is not an elected king, no matter how many bombs he can drop, because the crude constitution doesn't trust him. He's just a bum. Which I think was really great. And probably, uh, probably one of the better scenes in the movie. Out of a lot of good scenes. Yeah, it gets a slow crop, clap. Yes, I do have that there. Um... A very slow clap uh, ensues directly after that, yeah. which is always enjoyable to catch a slow clap. Ah, it's awesome. Um, but immediately after the scene, mm. you see Pesci having some like severe reaction, like he's coughing, coughing. can't yeah. catch his breath, it hurts. Yeah. He says, now that I'm uh, uh, taught at Harvard, boy, is all downhill from here. Yeah. This is like uh, the first time we see him that he's sick. You know, there might be something wrong. Yeah. This is where I, I noticed that it, it's a little dramatic in parts. And you mentioned that you think that it's a little cheesy. Um, it's a little dramatic, but I think that that's just because it's 30 years old. I think it still has a lot of interesting, interesting things to say. Mm. This one particular night, it's going to reach zero. Zero degrees, freezing outside. Mm. Um, and... You know, Monty's super worried about him. So, like, prematurely, he, like, asks the roommates, hey, would you be okay with him staying in the house in the cellar? Obviously, the two cool ones are cool with it. But Jeff, this motherfucking Jeff. And I have, most of this is about Jeff. Most of my- <laughs> Yeah, it's all about Jeff. That's why he doesn't want him in the house. That He just asked if he can sleep in the cellar. Not even, like, on the couch in the living room or mm-hmm. anything like that. Just if he can sleep in the cellar and Jeff won't go for it because yeah. he's a dick. He's a dick and he doesn't even want him to like feed him. Super cold outside. And Pesci says, hey, I'll give you some pages if I can sleep in the cellar. And, you know, Brendan Fraser is protecting his roommate, but he lies and said the cellar's flooded. And he's worried about him the whole night. The whole night. 
that he's going to be too cold out there. I don't want, like, they could have rustled up more blankets. That's what I don't get. Like, just take him out a ton of blankets. If you're not going to let him in, at least take that Harvard blanket you have, you have tacked your to your wall down and go give it to him. But anyways, he goes out in the next morning mm-hmm. and um, Pesci's gone. He left him a note and said, uh, deal's off. You lied again. And we don't see him. For a little while. And we uh, assume that that Monty's lost the rest of his thesis. So I feel like Jeff was totally unreasonable. Mm. Like, you would bring a dog in to the house if, if it, it was, was that, freezing. If it was that cold. Like, yeah. this was a human being. Exactly. Um, and there's a small part of me that thinks that Jeff causes such a ruckus is because he's trying to disrupt this negotiation or this deal that Monty has for his thesis mm. because he's very insecure and jealous of Monty it seems like Monty in particular yeah where he's like basing where he should be against Monty even though they have totally different career paths mm-hmm. it just seems like yeah it's some sort of competition in Jeff's mind right too so I don't know if that no I see I that I see that, I see that because like, I think it seemed he was purposely trying to keep him from getting his thesis it's possible yeah i I can see that too because jeff has a lot of insecurities but also it's just like we come back to that first uh little speech at the beginning of the movie with patrick dempsey's character about you know you know you can make it all you have to do is crush everybody that's in your way first right Mm -hmm. so i think there's that mentality and maybe um is part of it when it comes to some of these uh ivy league schools is that um just getting there isn't even enough just going to harvard's not enough you have to be you have to graduate with honors you have to be top of the class you have Mm -hmm. to literally push everybody that's in your way out of your way to be the most successful and i think that that's kind of what jeff is representing Yeah. yeah a little bit that's a good point um, but I feel like Monty used to be Jeff too. Yeah, a little bit. They used to be on the same track. And I think that at, that with talking with Simon Monty. and realizing that you know he's a human being that has had experiences and uh, is very intelligent, um, all these things uh, has started to come around and wants to have him stay in the house. And Jeff says no, and Monty even gets physical with him. Um, but ultimately doesn't let Simon in the house out of, I guess, some sort of weird respect for Jeff. Well, Jeff also says he's going to leave and threatens to not take his Take his rent with him. Monty has to keep him outside, and then he takes off the next day. And that um, is tough for him because he's concerned about him, but he also still needs his thesis. And that leads us into... Winter break. Winter break. Winter break. All the other roommates leave mm-hmm. because they've got rich families that can just travel, bring them home for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Monty has to stay there because he can't afford it. He's got to rewrite his whole thesis now. Courtney offers to take him home with her to the Big Apple, which nobody from New York calls the Big Apple. I don't know if maybe that was just for his benefit, but mm-hmm. he says no, that he's got to work on his thesis. Um, and we do see a few scenes of him, like, working on his thesis, walking around campus, looking in places where him and, and Simon have been to see if Simon's there. He mm-hmm. can't find them. And then, finally, um, there's a knock on the door one day. Mm-hmm. And he thinks it's Pesci. 
Because it's the Harvard blanket. Right. Turned around. But then the guy turns around. It's a it's a friend. We had learned earlier in the movie that, that Pesci had loaned the blanket to a friend of his. Mm-hmm. And this friend happened to be the person who was keeping the, th- the thesis safe. Yep, insurance. And uh, walks in with the whole thesis and says that Simon said uh, to give this to you, but um, that you'd give me something to eat first. Not roughage. Not, not roughage, yes. He also reads something that Pesci asked him to read, uh, Monty, which was, I think, the first Walt Whitman quote of the movie. I didn't write that one down. He asked the friend, you know, where he might be able to find him. Yeah. And the friend says, well, he told me to tell you St. Peter's Church. After he says he doesn't want to see you a couple right. times. So Monty goes there. Yep. But. It's not a real shelter. Not a shelter. Um, just a church. Yep. But there's an alleyway. There's an alleyway just around the corner where he does Still find. with homeless people. Yeah. Who's not doing well. He's sick, super sick. He wants to take him to the hospital, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to go to the hospital. And in that moment, he's, he says, promise me, uh, you'll never take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He agrees to go to a doctor's appointment, but not the hospital. Mm-hmm. We find out uh, what his diagnosis he is. He has uh, asbestosis. What? Asbestosis? Asbestosis. Asbestosis? Asbestosis. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I don't know. Which is basically asbestos in the lungs. Mm-hmm. He got that from not only working on the ship, but Merchant Marines. He said it was in, in Baltimore, right? He says, this is my time in Baltimore um, mm-hmm. working in the engine rooms. Yeah. Yeah. And he said they knew about it, too. Mm-hmm. And they knew it wouldn't kill you for and, 20 and years. They knew it wouldn't kill you for 20 years. And then once he started to get sick, they, they fired, fired him. him. Yeah. And he never went home after that. And he'd been homeless ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's kind of been jilted by the government and like was too mad to mm-hmm. do anything. He brings him back to the house mm-hmm. while none of the roommates are there. Gives him a key to the house yeah. and lets him stay in Boz's room up in the attic. Mm-hmm. Which was just open, being used by nobody the whole time. But of course now uh, Pesci says, you know, maybe it's time for me to make up with Uncle Sam. And he goes to get veteran benefits mm-hmm. from the government so he can Disability benefits. contribute to to the rent. Exactly. He helps uh, while it's just the two of them. He cooks dinner one night. A wonderful dinner. It looks amazing. Fresh chicken. Yeah. It was New Year's or Christmas New dinner. New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Just plucked that day. So it turns out it's... it's Gorky. Gorky, Patrick Dempsey's pet <laughs> Radio chicken. Radio chicken. Which, uh, when they come home just a few days later, isn't he's not very upset about it. He's not upset about it at, at all. all. He's like, I've got a, I've got an issue with he this. He makes a joke about it. And then he's like, you haven't fixed the van yet. And it has nothing it. to do like, with the he chicken. He killed his chicken. <laughs> but anyways, uh, this is when they all rush. They, it's weird. All three roommates get home at the exact same time, Bizarre. coming from different places. Yeah. Jeff rushes into the house because he's got a poop. Yep. Goes to the bathroom. Guess who's already on the toilet? Yeah, and he freaks out. Freaks out. He startles Jeff. Jeff says, holy shit. And (laughs) Simon stands up and looks in the bowl and said, you think so? Looks like a regular garden variety to me. Nice. (laughs) And then Dan Quayle light switch on the wall there. Uh, Dan Quayle being the former vice president during, well, Probably was vice president when they shot the movie, uh, but by the time the movie came out, uh, the Clinton administration had already been there mm-hmm. uh, in office. But 
Yeah. There was also a Dan Quayle joke earlier in the movie. Simon, it was when they were in the boiler room. About going back to back to law school what or something What the thesis like was, and it was about the government. And he's like, oh, are you Dan Quayle? Come back to finish your education? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then uh, cue the 90s montage. Oh, yes, a montage where they all got along. Yeah. So great. Except Jeff. Except poor Jeff. Yeah. But yeah, it was all the rest of the roommates having one-on-one time with him. Simon's got his Kangol hat on, um, and he's fixing the van for, for Everett. There's this really funny part in the montage. Where Brendan Fraser makes a funny face. He makes a funny face, and he just hits one button on his keyboard over and over and over while staring at the screen with this goofy face. Yep. So it could have been the delete button that he was just trashing the rest of his trashing thesis. Trashing his thesis, yep. But it was really funny. I laughed um, a lot. Everyone becomes buddies with Simon uh, because he is a likable guy. He is charming. <laughs> Everett has him on the show. Asks him where his favorite place he'd ever been. And he says uh, Leper Colony on Molokai because um, he was the most handsome guy there. Mm-hmm. And then him and Jeff have a bit of a heart-to-heart. A little bit. Yeah. Tries to tries to offer him breakfast and Jeff can't, you know, can't accept anything from him because he's a dick. He's just a douche mm-hmm. who's very insecure. And Simon says, you know why you hate me so much, Jeffrey? It's because I look the way you feel, which I think is pretty spot on. And at that point, I think Jeff gives in a little bit and and says, yeah, this guy, he sees people because he is a person. He's a human being Mm -hmm. who just, you know, had something awful happen to him and is dealing with it. And finally, Jeff seems a little bit like a person. Yeah. Wilder asks him, do you know why the other, the group that like shits on you so bad? And Jeff's answer is, yeah, because I'm super good looking or some ridiculous. Because I'm so handsome. And then the scene ends. But it's something that like his mother would have fed him. I think he's making a joke. Are you? Are you sure? Because I feel like. Are you sure? I think it's a joke. I feel like it's something that his mom was like. It's just like a deadpan. It's okay if the other kids don't like you at school. I think, I don't think that that's it. They're just jealous of how handsome you are. it's just a deadpan, sarcastic answer that he's just deflecting. Here I was thinking he was just delusional mama's boy. Um, So I think you're right. Uh, I think Monty was deleting uh, his thesis during the montage Mm -hmm. because then the the following scene is him and Courtney where she's just reread his new thesis and she says, you changed everything. What is the professor going to think? And and she reads a a part that says, advances in communication and technology will eventually allow the U.S. to accomplish its dream of pure democracy. And Monty says, that's right. Interactive cable is going to save the world. Interactive. You know, 94, the internet's just becoming popular among the the general population in 94, just starting to blow up. Mm-hmm. So I think that they kind of knew things to come a little bit there. Interactive cable is going to save the world. I have a note here or destroy it. Handled response. And the, we'll see in another 30 years to see if uh, Brendan Fraser was correct. Monty heads into Simon's bedroom and he's writing his own obituary. And he asks Monty to read it to see if he, what he thinks. And he says, I'll read it later. And he says, I don't think uh, I'll have much time for that. Basically saying that he thinks he's on his way out and Mm -hmm. he's trying to write his obituary because 
he reads a lot of them and they're very depressing and he doesn't want that to be his legacy no. yeah he points he one out that he, he found lived. it was it was two lines and had his name his age no survivors no services and he says how could he die he ne he never lived this is the point where um monty. monty reads what he has so far and it's strictly facts and within those facts uh he finds out that simon was born in 1942 had uh, a son a wife a wife and, and a son, son that he left that he left in 1963 and of course we know that monty's father left him and his mother mm -hmm. uh, so this is a big pain point simon says that he's not proud of it and monty says well that's a relief you know, like, well, that's good. The fact that you're not proud, but what, what good does that do now? You know, um, which obviously is really tough. Mm -hmm. I like the quote here, but I don't fully understand what Simon is trying to say. He says, you'd be surprised how different the view is on the way out than on the way in. I, I think, I think it's, he's referencing Monty's youth. Um, Although Monty was on the other the other end of what Simon created, you know, a father leaving a son without a without a father, so I don't exactly know what that quote is meant to mean for him. Yeah. But um, when you're on your way out, you look at things much different differently, obviously. And I'm sure when Simon was twenty or however old, and he left his wife and son, he had what he felt like was a good reason. Um, but now that he's looking back and he's basically on close to his deathbed, he's uh, looking at things differently. Mm -hmm. After that, there's the Lynx party. Lynx party! Which um, is apparently a party that's very popular on campus, must have it every year. Pajama party. Pajama party. And you need an invitation. You need an invitation. So Monty, and you have a plus one, so Monty's going to take... Simon with mm -hmm. him, so Simon can experience this party. Courtney takes Jeff. Courtney takes Jeff, so Jeff gets to go. So Jeff gets to go. Because he, he wants to fit in and be one of the crew now that yeah. he's not a dick anymore. But he's always on the outskirts, and they were almost going to leave him behind. But, like, Courtney brought him instead of the face, which is her... Um, her kind of on-again, off-again boyfriend that yeah. they mentioned throughout the movie. And he's there um, separately from her. And this is when Pesci you know, tells Monty, like, what are you doing? You're obviously in love with this girl. Go for it, you mm -hmm. know? And, you know, Monty says, I don't want to ruin the friendship. We get another Walt Whitman quote um, that that Simon throws at him. He says, to drive free, to love free, to court destruction with taunts, to feed the remainder of life with one hour of fullness and freedom, one brief hour of madness and joy. Which is basically, you know, you got to go for things in life. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or or you'll just be left on the sidelines. Uh, Pesci is asked to dance by a very attractive woman who doesn't look like she's a college student, who trivia turns out to be Joe Pesci's wife at the time. A little cameo. In real life. <laughs> just seconds after that, Courtney has a fight with the face yes. and storms off. Storms out. And Monty goes after her mm -hmm. and just walks up and just kisses, Lays one on her. kisses her uh, very passionately. And then she's, and she's like, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, I'm ending the friendship. Super corny. I actually right. wrote that quote down too. <laughs> but also, also kind of awesome. 
Like, if that had happened to you in real life, would you have just, like, if I had done something like that to you, would you just laugh in my face? Yeah, but I laugh at most things. Yeah. But you wouldn't have been offended. No. We would have kissed afterwards, I'm sure. Probably. We also would have done uh, what they they did after that as well, which was bone. <laughs> Our parents are listening, maybe. Um, um, t- our parents definitely know that we bone because sh- we've been married for 15 years. Is it bone? Is that what you don't like? Make love. <laughs> Shut up! That's worse. <laughs> so, so much worse. So um, we have that scene, and then the, you know, post-coital relations, they're mm-hmm. they're uh, cuddling in bed. Mm-hmm. Monty hears a noise out in the hall, and gets up. It's Simon has fallen, mm-hmm. and he's not doing well. No, and he takes him into Monty's bed. Monty's bed and covers him up. He's afraid of being alone that night. He asks him to stay, and he says, is he scared? Mm-hmm. And he tells him a story about a dog that they had when he was a child. Yeah. A dog that used to go out and love to chase cars, but he'd always get hit by the cars. Of course. And he'd always bounce back after a couple of days, no problem, but he'd keep chasing cars. He uh, got old and sick, mm-hmm. and um, th- this actually happens a lot with, with animals, and it's very sad for pet owners um, a lot of the time. Because I, I've, I remember uh, having a pet that did this, and animals get sick and they, they want to be alone. And this dog went off out by itself in the woods, to to, to basically die. And they would try to, to to comfort him or take him, and he would just snap at them. And Joe Pesci's telling him in this moment, "It's like I don't want to be alone," mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Which up until that point, as probably a homeless person, he would have been alone. Died, unfortunately, on the street by himself. Yeah. He says to him, if I make it through the night, will you drive me somewhere tomorrow? Yes. And he says he wants to drive to see his son. Mm-hmm. So there's um, a lot of things happening tomorrow. Tomorrow is also the day his thesis Coincidentally, is yes. Coincidentally. This, of course, is the day that Joe Pesci decides to die. Sorry. Um, but it is the day the, th- the thesis is due. Exactly. Um, his thesis is written, but he hasn't finished his uh, bibliography. bibliography. Monty doesn't even hesitate, though. He's like, yes, yeah, I'm going to drive course. you. Of course. And, and even Courtney's like, your thesis is due. He's like, tomorrow. It just we'll seems like tomorrow. a he, totally different Monty. It's a completely different today. person. And the very next day, also, they're getting ready to leave. They've got Simon in the van laying, mm-hmm. laying down on the bed comfortable and um jeff is even like where are you going your thesis is due and he's like i'll turn it in when i get back and uh it's gonna be late you can tell that jeff wants to go and finally monty's like we're we're going do you want to come so they all go Mm -hmm. to take this drive we're not sure exactly where but it can't be too far because it's all done in one day and um they drive to go meet uh, Joe Pesci's son. Yeah. Can I... Quick note about Jeff again. Is he my favorite character? No. That can't be true. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> okay. So, Jeff, when he wants to go, of course, but, like, he wants to be part of the group, he also is seeing that Monty has prioritized real human, like, life mm-hmm. over the school and his thesis and everything he had prioritized 
earlier. Mm-hmm. So they used to be possibly closer. Aligned. Aligned. And then they weren't. And now and it feels like. And it feels like Jeff's finally. Coming full circle. Oh, I can, I can do this too. Yeah. You know, school's not everything. Right. They get to the house. Very nice looking house. Looks like his son, which I think is uh, trying, them trying to tell us that the son has done well for himself. Um, that yeah. he, despite growing up without a father, he's done good. Um, Monty goes to the door and is very quick, like quickly explains the situation. The son, uh, understandably, is like, I don't want to meet this guy. Yeah. Brendan Fraser's like, look, he's, he's dying. He just, just please come and say hello, let him look at you, and then you'll never have to see him again. So he does. And it's really hard because Joe Pesci's like, I'm your father. And he's like, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And the son says, you were wrong, and I don't care about your sorry. Um, and I, I, I did have a, a note here. I like that his son rejected him. Yeah. Because a lot of time in movies, you get this... It's very satisfying, but it's not real life a lot of the times where like he would have been like, oh, he's dying. And he's like, it's okay. Or not even like that. Just like accepting him. And I like that the son rejected him completely mm-hmm. because that's real. That's what he did to him. Yeah. And that's real. But like maybe having that sorry will help him in the future. Possibly. Yeah. And that's what Joe Pesci's hoping for. But I think he's also trying to clear his own conscience and at least wants him to know like I was wrong mm-hmm. you know what I did was wrong um, and, and his then his son's daughter comes out too a little girl runs out which is obviously his granddaughter mm-hmm. um, and she asks who the man is and the son says he's nobody mm-hmm. which again is is going back to that whole idea that's come up throughout the movie is like he's he's not a human being he's not a man he's no better than a dog you know, sleeping in a van. And uh, before they leave, he reaches down and picks up a pebble off the... Yeah, he takes another memory. To put in his his bag of rocks. They take off. Mm -hmm. And during the drive, he gets very emotional looking at his rocks and his uh, a necklace that he has, what I'm assuming is is the one that got away. Um, Or it could be maybe a picture of of her and then maybe his parents next to it. I wasn't quite sure because it doesn't look like him mm. in the picture. Um, and he says, stop, stop, stop the car that. here. And he jumps out and he starts to just walk out into the woods. And we can tell like he's trying to get away mm-hmm. so he can go die, die in the alone, woods alone. Like a dog. Yeah. And which is so sad. Yeah. Just, just talking about it is making me sad. <laughs> no. But, uh, Monty runs after him and he says, you're not a dog. And he picks him up and he carries him back to the van. Mm-hmm. And they take him uh, take back him into back the, house. the house. They put him in bed. And Simon has a copy of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass mm-hmm. sitting on the bed um, next to him. And they begin reading the book to him. I feel like the staging and the scene was a little like a, like a play. A little bit. It felt like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that um, while we were watching it. It's it's odd because they have the each character read from the book, but they're just reading a continuation of the same passage. But they're also showing it as if time is passing, which is weird because if they're reading one passage, 
uh, sorry, this is like a continuity thing, and continuity things drive me nuts. But yeah. like, if they're reading one like two minute passage and hours are going by, are they just rereading the same passage yes. over and over again? Yeah, I like to critique the movies instead of mm. talk about how fun and cool they were. Yes. Anyway, he passes away. He does die. Um, he has takes his last breath, and they're all very heartbroken. Um, and then there's a funeral, and I'm assuming the four of them must have pitched in to buy a casket. It's, yeah. It wasn't like just a regular box; like it was a, a modest casket, and it's just literally just the four of them. Like not even other a priest people. or or like. Even someone from the funeral grounds or anyone there, which is a little odd. Maybe that's just it. The scene they're like, you take your time. And yeah, because it, it'd be weird eventually. to have like randos there. Yeah, um, they read the obituary that he wrote himself. Yes. Are you gonna quote it? I'm. I'm gonna read it because uh, it's very good, and I also uh, want to see if I can fight back tears. Simon wrote his own obituary. He asked me to read it. <clears throat> Simon B. Wilder bit it on Wednesday, and they laugh. He saw the world out of the porthole of a leaky freighter, was a collector of memories, and in interrupted a lecture at Harvard. In 50 years on Earth, he did only one thing he regretted. He survived by his family. Jeff Hawks, who always remembers to flush. Ever Everett Calloway, who knows how to use words, Courtney Blumenthal, who is strong and also knows how to love, and by Montgomery Kessler, who will graduate life with honor and without regret. Oh, man. Are you okay? That was so sweet. That's exactly what Brendan Fraser cracked. Um, so, yeah, I like a good tearjerker from time to time. Yeah. Oh, um, I cried anytime Joe Pesci cried or Brandon Fraser cried. Yeah. You cry a lot anyways. Whatever. During movies. I cried during beer you commercials. don't cry in real life, which is weird. Makes me wonder what things. What is there to cry about? And then we have uh, basically one final scene with his professor where he's basically like respects that he wrote his own thesis. Yeah. Although it wasn't. Which he was worried. Although he he um, doesn't agree with his opinions, he respects that his independence and says that a lot of people don't agree with my opinions and says that he um, is just sad that he wasn't able to graduate with honors mm -hmm. because he didn't hand the thesis in, in t on time. But he um, graduated life with honors. Right. Which is better than graduating school with honors. Um and then a quick graduation scene. We see them graduate, and then we move <laughs> so on crying. after that. Um, uh. There's a weird glare in my glasses, making my, <laughs> my, my, my eyes, eyes look red. It's water. very weird. There's a lot of dust in the air. Um, and then we uh, credits roll, and we get uh, Madonna, I'll Remember, mm. at which I remember the song coming out. I didn't realize it had anything to do with this movie, but I remember the song being mm. on the radio. <laughs> That's how old I am. I used to listen to the radio. Ooh, the radio. I still listen radio to the radio. still on. Because yeah, our car's old and that's all that works. Um, I call this segment 
Um, how many times did Joe Pesci outwit the supposedly better off characters? Mm. It's a long segment title. I'm nice. working on him, workshopping it. Yeah. One, he makes a deal in his favor over the thesis in the boiler room. One, yeah. Two, when he's first screwed over, of course he has stashed the thesis as the hostage in a safe place mm-hmm. for insurance. Three, in court, when he's first arrested for vagrancy and drunken publicness and stuff, he totally has all the dr- charges dropped mm-hmm. and like out, outwits or... Uses the law in his favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has good arguments that actually Are sound. make sense. They make the, sense the to judge, me yeah. in TV court. Yep. So that's awesome. Um, and... Even if like certain information wasn't really accurate, like there's a goof in in the IMDb where Harvard being like a public library isn't accurate. But I feel like even if it wasn't accurate, the judge would feel stupid to be like, can mm. someone look that up? Yeah. Like, so he just kind of let him off. Anyway. Judges hate to look stupid. They yeah. hate to look stupid. Number four um, is two-parter where he uses his words to make others feel lacking. Mm. Um, when he's in the classroom, he mic drops mm-hmm. on the teacher. Mm-hmm. That whole business. And whenever he gives advice to Monty, especially about his thesis, like when they were talking about the government, like you're not going to help anyone with those kinds of words. You mm-hmm. know, those ideas are coming out the wrong end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was so pessimistic and kind of bullshitty that yeah. nothing's going to change in government mm-hmm. if you keep thinking like that. True. Very good. I like that segment. That's a good segment. We'll have different segments throughout this whole uh, series of Joe Pesci, but hopefully... More uh, about Pesci owning moving things. Moving forward just throughout the whole uh, podcast itself, I definitely know that once we get to a few key Pesci movies... We'll have to introduce the fuck count segment, mm-hmm. um, which will be tallying up the amount of times Mr. Pesci utters the word F-U-C-K. But I think you took a count of something during this movie. What was that count of? Oh, it was uh, every time he said boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. I definitely missed some. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Did you, so I, let me ask you this. Did you count just boy, oh boys? How about the few times when he said boy oh boy oh boy is that one or two that's one okay all right so how many you got i only had seven but i think that sounds accurate there's more could be but maybe a couple subtle boy oh boys boy oh boys or they're like mixed into a a, a whole a greater sentence or Mm -hmm. conversation yeah may have missed it maybe like seven seems like a lot of times for someone to say boy oh boy in an hour and 50 ish minutes so no that's like a a catchphrase that he likes to use Mm -hmm. whenever he gets excited i have a few last notes that i'd like to share i felt it was an episode of friends at the beginning intentional for sure but turned into something different once pesci and monty became partners and then transitioned again uh, when we when he saves him and they become roommates and then he dies there's many turns in this film so like it definitely had different acts i think mm-hmm. um where we watch this progression like you mentioned before of Monty's character uh, we also see a progression of simon's character too as he kind of comes to terms with his death and the mistakes that he's made in life um 
definitely the most emotional performance that I've seen from Joe Pesci. We still have more of his movies to watch, but I know what we have in the queue, and I don't think we're going to see um, as emotional of a performance as we did in this movie. Interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I'd like to be surprised. But... I mean, anger is an emotion. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> we know that Joe Pesci's really good at playing anger, though. Mm, okay, um, that's true. And I even have, like, we I know mean... he can do the tough guy, <laughs> and he has good comedic timing. But the classroom, story about the dog, obituary scene, um, his encounter with his son, mm. wanting to die alone, uh, the deathbed and the funeral, all very emotional. It's very emotional. Um, but I'm surprised we didn't cry more. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest, I'm very happy that this was uh, the, first, the first episode. I'm glad that we were able to start with um, something, something neither of us have seen. And I'm glad that it was a tearjerker. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. I thought it was going to be a comedy. There's definitely some funny parts. Yeah. Uh, Dempsey's got a lot of... Um, hair. Co- hair. <laughs> and comedic <laughs> relief. Um, and of course, Joe Pesci's got a lot of funny lines, too. They pepper in a decent amount of humor, but it's for sure a drama. Yeah. Is there anything that you have, any closing thoughts that you want to put in there before we jump into uh, trivia? Trivia, let's skip over to trivia. Just jump right in? Yeah. There wasn't a lot, but I did notice a few um, fun bits. We mentioned the one before that the the girl that he dances with at the Lynx party is is Joe Pesci's real wife wife in real life. Mm. Uh, Another bit of trivia. Wasn't shot strictly... In at Harvard. Yep, University of Illinois, uh, University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Mm, some Harvard University shots, obviously. I mm-hmm. mean, it, the outside probably. Um, and Lincoln Hall, Northwest University Law School. Although it does snow quite a bit in Boston, and I believe that they had a good snow right before they started filming, mm-hmm. they couldn't use it because... Um, for anyone who actually lives where they get a lot of snow, once the snow falls after a day or two, it's just disgusting looking. Pristine snow only exists on mountains where there aren't cars and buildings and people walking around all the time. Um, so they had to bring in fake snow on top of all of the real snow that they had Hmm. to make it look more wintry and more real i think the last bit of trivia for um this was alec uh kisheshian i'm saying that right i definitely nailing it Um, i'm shrugging was a harvard grad himself hey so um you want to rate this bitch yes all right um Um, so we yeah. Do you want to explain it? Sure. Go We're going to uh, be rating these 1 through 12 uh, based on where we like it compared to the other movies that we're watching for this season. Yeah. So by the end of the 12 films that we watch of Joe Pesci's, mm-hmm. um, we'll have given each individual movie a 1 to 12. So 1 That's through 12 for all of them. Being our favorite to worst. And uh, it'll flow throughout yeah. watching. We'll probably have to we'll change, mix things around, probably change, change our, our opinions, opinions as we watch things. Like other things better yeah. than these. But what do we have on IMDb and and Rotten Tomatoes? So, Interested to see what that is. Uh, the tomato meter is at 19%, which 
is different than the audience score that gave it 73%. 17. 73. 19. Sorry, 19 on the tomato mirror, 73 from the audience score. So a fan favorite, yeah. right? Looks like Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars. Mm. Walking out of With Honors, I heard someone behind me scoffing that it was impossible for a homeless man to live in the furnace room of Harvard's Winder Library. Maybe so, but at the University of Illinois, which I attended, and which doubled for Harvard in the movie's graduation scene, I had a friend who lived in the furnace room in the daily Illini and survived on diet-powdered milk. It's an interesting anecdote. That is interesting. Hmm. Uh, the movie's predictable from scene one, though that wouldn't be a problem if the, it had a good script, good performances, and solid direction, but it doesn't. Hmm. Interesting. There's another one. A politically correct, vastly sentimental, and ultimately insincere saga of a friendship between a kind homeless man, played by Joe Pesci, and a guilt-ridden Harvard student, played by Brendan Fraser. Um, obviously inspired by Scent of a Woman, this one could have been called Scent of a Bum. See, that's interesting, because I, I didn't mention this while we were looking at the movie, but I made a note during here, because this came out in 1994, and I said... Do you think Damon and Affleck use this as inspiration for Goodwill Hunting, which came out in 1996? Um, I don't know, and I didn't look to see in anything, but I got a lot of vibes from that. Like the person that you wouldn't expect to be smart, being smart and having everyone learn from them. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happens in Goodwill Hunting. Um, and we mentioned the writing before that it kind of felt like witty sitcom writing to me among the roommates mm -hmm. but i definitely think that there's a lot of good lines in the movie but i i do agree that it's not exactly how people talk in real life um that being said it got a 73 73 audience score and it got a 6.7 on imdb so essentially a 67 which is mainly i think is a mixture of critics and audience all in one um and I think I think it still holds up mostly. I liked it. Um, yeah, it's a little corny. It's a little here corny to begin with. But um, a little. I don't stiff. think it was over the top corny. What would you rate it? Mm. So I know there's going to be a bunch of good movies that we have ahead of us, including ones take take that out of seen. take that out of the and, and don't bring in the things that you've already seen before take that completely out of your mind. If you were going to give this score a one to 12 rating, having not seen any of the other movies ever, what would you give it? I'm going to give it a four only because dramas aren't really my Bag? cup of tea. Mm. A four. Yeah. Four out of 12. Okay. It was a good movie. Mm -hmm. It was a good movie. See, I'm going to rate it based on how I felt the movie was. A one out of 12. Um, just based on the movie itself. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a little corny, but not cringy. Um, there are some some of the Some of the dialogue wasn't like believable however it left me feeling really good i'm gonna give it a seven Ooh, yeah. wow with honors seven does that mean it's gonna be a seven can i change my answer after nope 
Locked in. I'm going to change it to a five. Final answer. Okay. Five. Copy. If it moves down, it moves down. But it was a feel good. It's possible it might change because we got a lot of big ones coming up. Next week, we will be discussing My Cousin Vinny. Uh, the following week, Once Upon a Time in America. And then we have Half Nelson, Casino, Lethal Weapon 2, 3, and 4, which we'll just give one rating. Sure. Uh, Raging Bull, JFK, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, Goodfellas, Home Alone 1 and 2, and The Super. So these ratings, they're only placeholders. Yep. They're but I'm excited for the lineup that we've got. Uh, My Cousin Vinny next week, a little bit lighter. We've mm-hmm. both seen My Cousin Vinny, so we kind of know what to expect here. Yeah. Um, we definitely both enjoy that movie. Looking forward to watching that after having just watched this, though, because oh, that'll give me a different something. perspective. Mm-hmm. A little comedy. On, on Pesci. Yeah. So once again, uh, happy birthday, happy 80th to Joe Pesci. Um, Thank you all for listening in. If you found us on any number of the podcast platforms that are on there, help us out by uh, rating and reviewing this episode. Um, Look out for our next episode next week, which will be uh, my cousin Vinny on uh, February the 16th. That's Mm -hmm. a Thursday. And uh, if you happen to watch this uh, in video format on YouTube, please subscribe and smash the like button because that's what you do. Everyone says smash the like button. I don't. It's a thing. Just I, click it. You just click. It. Don't smash your mouse or computer because that would be bad. I don't want to be responsible. Uh, yeah, you can't sue me for that. You're so funny. They can't sue me for that. Anyways, um, You're so funny. shh. Stop telling me how funny I am. All right. Thank you. Bye. This is Stellar Alignment. I'm Peter. I'm Shay. Let's dive into... Let's dive in. Let's dive into with... The movie sandwiches was i was supposed to say something in the middle (laughs) let's dive into with honors here on stellar alignments first episode